Well, thanks. It's a great joy to be here, to be back with you. A bit frustrating at Denton Corner to find a police car across the road and letting no one cross it. So, as Wendy said earlier, big detour. So we saw Drusillas and places we used to see years ago. Uh, unusually uh, misty, unfortunately, but great to be with you again. Thank you so much for a warm welcome. If you want to follow in the scripture, I'm reading from Second Kings and chapter 7, seven Second Kings chapter 7. Uh, I'm reading from the NASB, which may have one or two words different if you're using a different translation. Just to remind you of the background of this particular chapter, it's a chapter where the people of God are in a city which is besieged, and uh, it gets worse and worse. The situation gets really terrifying, and if we had time to read the previous chapter, which of course we don't, it would tell of uh, such horrendous circumstances, even cannibalism, just to stay alive. I mean, it, you, it can't get worse than it is. And then Elisha, the prophet, just speaks into it and says, this is all going to be over, which seems absolutely impossible. I mean, how can that possibly be? But the, the, the Bible's full of stories like that. The Bible is a, a book about extraordinary deliverances from God. Uh, you get them again and again and again. Maybe it's the Red Sea. How do we get through? Thank you for the Passover blood that cleansed away my guilt before God. We didn't have to die. The Lamb died in our place. Such good news. But, ah, the Red Sea. We can't get any further. We're locked in. And then that amazing miracle that the Red Sea opens and a nation is born as they come through miracle birth and become a people of God. They become the nation of God. They're out of Egypt I call my son. It's like they birth through these uh, waters, a miracle happens. And, and the Bible's full of these miracles where, you know, Goliath strutting around, we're finished, that giant's going to kill us off, the Philistines are going to take us. And no, 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 David takes Goliath out. And then, hey, Jericho's walled up to heaven. What are we going to do? Hey, the walls of Jericho fall down again. And again and again, going through the Bible, you get situations which are absolutely impossible, and then suddenly God acts, and the door swings open. And that, that is the actual, that's the story of the Bible. I hope we realize that. I hope we realize that. I was listening, as I often do on, in the mornings, to the Today program uh, recently, and uh, you know, John Humphreys was interviewing someone. I'm just listening to it as I have my breakfast or showering or whatever. I, I have this on the background. And, and I hear John Humphreys talking. He's talking to a, a Christian minister, so I prick up my ears. And he talks about the Bible, this book about morality. And, and, the, and the vicar, Church of England man, I think, he, he said, no, no, you've not misunderstood. And, and John Humphreys said, I never thought I'd hear a Christian minister say that the Bible is not a book about morality. And so the guy said, no, no, it isn't at all. You've got it completely wrong. He said, the Bible is a book about how God intervenes in human history and rescues people. He said, that's the story of the Bible. It's a great rescue from God because we can't help ourselves. We need someone outside of ourselves to come and rescue us. And I thought, oh, well done, well done. Because so many people, especially in the secular world, want to reduce our faith to just morality, moralism, do better, try harder. If I become a Christian, do I have to do better, try harder? And they haven't heard the great news. There's been an amazing deliverance. There's been an amazing set-free thing. God broke in. God did an amazing thing. So this is one of those stories. There are many, but we're just going to read this one. I'll read the first nine verses 
of chapter 7. Then Elisha said, Listen to the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow, about this time, a measure of fine flour will be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. And the royal officer, on whose hand the king was leaning, answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? Then he said, Behold, you'll see it with your own eyes, but you will not eat of it. Now there were four leprous men in the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why do we sit here till we die? If we say we'll go into the city, there's famine in the city. We'll die there. If we sit here, we'll die also. Now therefore, come, let's go over to the camp of the Arameans. If they spare us, we'll live. If they kill us, we'll die. They arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Arameans. When they came to the outskirts of the camp of the Arameans, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Arameans to hear a sound of chariots and a sound of horses, even the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to come upon us. Therefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses and their donkeys, even the camp, just as it was, and fled for their life. When the lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they entered one tent and ate and drank and carried from there silver and gold and clothes and went and hid them. And they returned and entered another tent and carried from there also and went and hid them. Then they said to one another, we're not doing right. This day is a day of good news, but we're keeping silent. If we wait till morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now therefore, come, let's go and tell the king's household. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being in your presence, singing your praise. We thank you for the great truths we've been singing together of your faithfulness, your kindness. Lord, you've given us a new identity. You're never going to let go of us. Lord, it's so wonderful to focus on these great truths. We give you the praise. Lord, we ask you, Father, right now, please, would you breathe life into this story as we look at it together? Would you help us, Father, that it might be relevant to us, do us good, let your word enter our hearts, inspire a response that brings you pleasure and brings us fulfillment, Lord. Father, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this uh, city is besieged, has been besieged for some season, and now they're really at, the, at their end, and uh, hey, people are going to die, the whole city's going to get wiped out. And then the prophet comes, and again, again, this is what we find in the Bible, suddenly God speaks, suddenly God intervenes, and uh, his word is an unexpected word, tomorrow everything's going to be okay, food will be cheap, uh, the whole thing is uh, over, tomorrow it's got, woo, that's a bit sad, there's a crisis from heaven. <laughs> Wow, thank you very much. Is that a heavy Bible? Or? <laughs> you can keep those for a while if you like. Okay. Is that safer now, do you think? Sure, okay. 
<laughs> suddenly from heaven, whoa, uh, with signs and wonders to confirm the word. Okay, so God speaks, and uh, when he speaks, uh, that's, actually that's the end of the problem, because God's intervened. And when God speaks, th that's the guarantee it's going to happen. But you find that there's one soldier there saying, oh, this can't possibly happen. And the, the prophet has to say to him, your unbelief actually is going to rob you of enjoying this. And if you read the story right on, you'll find that happens. This guy gets crushed in the rush. But if we're going to believe it, hey, God's spoken, it's going to happen. And we might say, well, how, how can that happen? How, how can a city be suddenly set free from such an army? Uh, is it, is it going to be a kind of an SAS group, some little uh, group of powerful soldiers? Remember that time when David said, if only I could drink water from the well of Bethlehem. And it said, just a handful of his real tough guys said, okay, did you hear what David said? He'd love a drink from Bethlehem. It was dangerous, I know, but let's go. And these tough guys go out and get the water and bring it. Wow, perhaps it's going to be another group of really tough guys who are going to change the circumstances. How, how can these circumstances change? Well, we find the story turns, to our surprise, on four lepers. The lepers are sitting outside the city wall uh, because they are contaminated with this disease and therefore not allowed to mingle with the people. They're dependent on mercy coming down over the wall, probably uh, in baskets being let down on ropes to them uh, as they wait for somebody to show mercy to them. And that's all dried up because, hey, there's nothing left. There's nothing coming. And so they know we're going to die. We're as good as dead. So what's the point? What's the point of playing safe? What's the point of waiting here any longer? We might as well cast ourselves on the mercy of the opposition army because we're going to die anyway. If we're going to die anyway, and there's nothing in the city that are persuaded of that, we might as well just go. Let's just try it. Let's just risk ourselves on this terrifying army that's out there. And we read the story. And as they are beginning to go, we can imagine the thoughts that go through their mind. And what occurred to me as I first looked at this is the story would never have happened if it had not been for these four guys. This wouldn't have happened. This was the means that God used, was these four guys. And the fascinating thing about them is this. They are dead men already. And I thought, how powerful people are who don't have any other agenda, who've got nothing else to live for, who don't think, well, what about? You know, how, what, I mean, this could be dangerous. They think, no, 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 that, what's the point? We're going to die anyway. But as I thought about that, I thought, hey, that's the kind of atmosphere that you find in the New Testament. When they said to Paul, you better not go to Jerusalem. It's a dangerous place to go. You could, you could die there. And, and he says in Acts 20, I don't regard my life of, of any account as dear to myself, that I might finish my course. It's like, hey, if you go there, what about? It's like we might say, if you give generously to the church, um, hey, well, I'd love to do it. You know, it's a good cause, but hey, how are we going to get by? Or if I really talk about Jesus at work and really want to share my, hey, I might be regarded as a religious weirdo um, and maybe I won't get promoted. I'll, I'll be ostracized. Uh, and there's lots of things we would do, but what about? I mean, what about the kids? You know, what if we were to go? I mean, what, what the, the ramifications are such that, well, I'd love to do it. I'd love to help. Uh, you know, I'd love you because, yeah, I count on me, but mm, there's so many things I have to think about. These guys have nothing else to think about. And people who've got nothing else to think about 
are ever so powerful. They don't have any other agenda. Because nothing else matters. And, and you know, somehow the cross and resurrection of Jesus did that to people in the New Testament. So Paul says this, we, we, we thus judge. If one died, we all died. That we should no longer live to ourselves, but to him who died and rose again. That it's changed our value system. It's changed what matters to us. Because, hey, life is short. We may have heard recently of this young American missionary who uh, was tragically speared to death just a few weeks ago, you know, trying to reach an unreached uh, primitive people. And it reminds us, perhaps, of uh, the five Ecuador martyrs, the five guys who died in 1953, which became massive news around the world because they went to the Alcos in South America and were speared to death. And Jim Elliott, probably the most well-known of the five, said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. And he wrote a magnificent diary and his books came out and hundreds applied to the mission field on the back of their lives being laid down. But it's like he had re-evaluated everything. Nothing else really matters. And that's what Paul is saying. Don't try and save me. I, I don't count my life as important. And that was the feel of the New Testament. That there were people who said, no, we've seen so much. Hey, it really doesn't matter. We're going to die anyway. What do you f what if you feel that? That's happened. I know for myself, I got saved on a very easy gospel, just asking Jesus into my heart. But it's like five years later, I felt God said, I want your life. I want your life. And it changed values completely. Everything, you know, I, I gave up my job and all sorts of values. Suddenly, what if, what if, what if didn't matter anymore? That really changes who we are. That's what really gets people on the move. Wendy and I were in Kingston for five years, two years back, and one of the, one of the young elders, husband, wife, four little blonde kids. And he, he said, I felt God's told me to go to Istanbul. And, he, and his parents were saying, what? Istanbul? That's a Muslim nation. What are you talking about? What about your kids? What about, what about, what about? He said, no, God's spoken. Uh, and we visited them there, out there in Istanbul, building a church. But I mean, what about? What about these kids? What about money? What about the, you giving up this job? What about, no, I just feel God spoke. And beloved, that's how the church has advanced down through the ages. When people don't have other agendas that stop them. Do you think you've seen your other agendas? No, they really aren't important. And not only did they see, hey, we're as good as dead anyway, but they noticed also there's nothing in the city. The city's dead. Nothing's coming over to us. We're, we're not getting anything from the city. And we do need to be persuaded of that too, to be honest, that there's nothing on offer of any great worth anyway. There really isn't. It's amazing. In the New Testament, you read about a guy called Demas, and uh, he was one of Paul's friends, not a famous one, but you'll find him referred to two or three times in Paul's letters. And he says, Demas sends greeting, Demas sends greeting. Then the very last time he's mentioned in 2 Timothy, he says, Demas has left me, having fallen in love with this passing age. I mean, Paul's co-worker. Imagine being with Paul, seeing the amazing things that he did, the extraordinary man that he was, and being his co-worker, and suddenly... Suddenly, oh, I think I'd like that. I, th I think I'd, uh, that, that means a lot to me. And one of our guys, I remember, he was going to plant a church 
and he just went to see his boss. He said, oh, I'm glad you've come to see me. I want you to, I just want to tell you our plans for your life. And he had a terrific plans of promotion and stuff. Our plans for your life. And he's, God had just called him to his plans for his life. And he had to realize, no, actually, although you're offering me another fabulous car and a promotion, and actually, uh, no, there's nothing in the city of any real worth. And it's a shame that Demas, the last time the guy's mentioned in the Bible, he's fallen in love with this. And it's passing away. It doesn't really matter. So these guys, the, t- the, the story turns on four guys who don't look terribly impressive, but they don't have any other agenda. So they're magnificently useful. You know, people who don't care about their own lives are scary people. I, I, I travel quite a bit, and I, I have to go through security again and again. It used to be easy to travel, but since Ben Laden... And since people blow themselves up on aeroplanes, it's, t- it's a pain. They shouldn't have shot him. They should have made him go for the rest of his life through security. <laughs> it's a pain. Shoes off, watch off, belt off. And then, oh, gang. What, what's what? Well, there are some people who really don't care whether they live or not. That's the danger. Now, that's for horrific reasons, of course. But people who don't care are very powerful as it happens, because they risk everything. And beloved, that's, I'm so thrilled you've, you've come across here, let's go for it. Let's go for a building, let's go for getting a footprint in Seaford, let's believe God. That's, that takes a lot of, hey, let's do it. I guess some of you were in a bigger scene, which looked a bit safer. And some of you were in a place where, oh, it's a big crowd, we just come along, and I want to commend you. That you said, no, come on, let's go for it. Let's go for it, let's go and do it again. Let's believe God. What about this Methodist? Wow, a lot of work to be done. It's a bit more comfortable just being in the, the big place. It's all, that's all happened. The previous generation paid for this. Hallelujah. No, no, God's saying, come on. And you're, I'm, I'm going to commend you. He's saying, yeah, let's go with it. It's maybe got some risks. Let's go for it. It's an old building. Hey, let's go for it. I want to commend you for that. That, that. God's agenda becomes number one priority. And that story turns on these guys, these four lepers. So let's just go on with the story because time's rushing by. They made the journey, and as they get there, they get to, I mean, you can imagine it, can't you? I expect they're waiting for the sentries any minute. Can't, come on, guys, come on. Any minute now, who goes there? You know, any minute we're going to be in trouble. In any minute we're in trouble. It's going to happen. Any minute. And nothing happens. No, one's, no one is saying, what are you doing? Who are you? What's happening? No one's there. No one's there. And this is the, this is the wonderful reversal of this story. These poor guys have got nothing, stumble on a camp that's been completely left. And it reminds me of the morning when Mary Magdalene went to see the body of Jesus. And this heart-rending cry They've taken away my Lord. I don't know what they've done with him. He's finished. It's all over. This hope, this wonderful man who changed my life and I'm with him every day, miracles, extraordinary teaching, and he changed my life. He changed my life. He's dead. And they've taken him away. What's going on? And suddenly, Mary, ah, he's alive. He's alive. This, this, all, these, all these Bible stories that talk about extraordinary reversal, they're all pointing to that one. When the grave was empty, a human race has had it. It's all over. Because that was the only one. He was the hope of the world. And he's dead. He's alive again. 
And that's what this story reminds me of, that these guys are walking along and, hey, 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 look, look what we found. I saw a guy on television the other day just won some extraordinary lottery, and he said, I'll never be in debt again. Whew. I wonder if you feel like that this morning. That's what Christians, we've been seeing about who we are. This is who I am, this is who I am. You're never going to let me go. I'll never be in debt again. That's what this guy said, because he stumbled on the lottery. Well, these guys have stumbled on the lottery. They come, and uh, you know, they're in rags, and they come to a tent, and there's nobody there. There's no soldier there. I can imagine them. I mean, they're just scruffs. They're, rag, they're just a, in rags, in poverty. And they go in and say, gold, silver. Look at this. Clothes, whoa, food. <gasps> Lovely food, food, food. And they're just getting absolutely stuck in. I was, uh, a while ago, I was um, preaching in Portsmouth, and the guy said to me, there's a terrific Christian bookshop in Portsmouth, second-hand bookshop. You need to go and look at it. And I went and looked. Sure enough, I mean, sure enough. There used to be one like it in Brighton when I lived there. It's like on three levels and everywhere there's piles of wonderful second-hand Christian books. I mean, old, wonderful ones, you know, real classic books. And, that, and some of them look pretty good and new. There's all Spurgeon's, Metropolitan Tabernacle, and then there's loads of Lloyd-Jones, all the Roman series looking as good as new. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. And I thought, wow, I'll have that, and uh, yeah, I'll have, have that, and... Yeah, I have that, and uh, wow. And I phoned my, my son, Joel. I said, Joel, I'm in Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. <laughs> and he said, what are you talking about? Anyway, I told him. The funny thing was, a few weeks later, I was uh, in a meeting, of course, had my phone turned off, as we all dutifully do. But when the meeting was over, I found out three calls from my son, three calls from Joel. And, and the first one says, Dad, I'm going to be in Portsmouth today. Well, that bookshop, remember you told me about a bookshop? Where, where's that bookshop? And there's the second call. And he says, uh, Dad, I'm in Portsmouth. Where? Where, where in Portsmouth? Where's this bookshop? And then there's a third phone call. And I, and I play it and it says, I'm in there. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wow, look what I've found. That sense of overwhelming what I've found is so wonderful. It's so exciting. It's so thrilling. We've stumbled on something that is absolutely amazing, that what has been provided. Now, often, to be honest, if I've heard this passage preached on, it often the sermon comes of the very last verse, and it may be you're thinking, oh, I know this story. I know where he's going. Well, I'm not going there, all right? The last verse says, we should not keep silent this is a time to tell, right? So people often use that to stimulate the saints to be more evangelistic, which of course is fine, but I'm not particularly going there. I want to really emphasize the sense of wonder in what they discovered. Because I think sometimes we say, you're saved to serve. You're sa now go and tell. And, and to be honest, sometimes we don't necessarily look like we've seen much yet. We haven't been overwhelmed. We haven't been filled with wonder. Whereas you feel of the early church, it says this, they couldn't believe for joy. When they said, he's alive, he's alive. And they couldn't believe for joy. I mean, this Jesus who was dead is alive. He's, absolutely, he's alive. And it was so amazing to think, no, Jesus is alive. Death, death has been beaten forever. We're never going to die. 
We're going to live forever. It's just awesome, amazing, staggering, and wonderful. And, and, and it ought to really cause our hearts to burst with joy that this is done. And God has done this thing for us. He's surprised. So what we find here is that they find the spoils. Right? Now, spoils are an unusual thing, really. It says in Isaiah 9, and we're just coming up to that period where we'll be reading probably passages like Isaiah 9, where it says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The people who sat in darkness shall see a great light. It's a classic passage, Isaiah 9. And it says this, they will be as those who celebrate the harvest or who celebrate the sharing of the spoils. In other words, that kind of poetic language is describing the incredible excitement that when he comes, it will be like those who declare the harvest. Well, you know, some, some metaphors don't necessarily grab you. I mean, the, the harvest, I've lived in urban England all my life, and I don't get very excited about the harvest. I mean, you know, you just go to Tesco's, it's on the shelf. <laughs> isn't it? It's, all, it's there all the time. I mean, all the year round, it's just there. So you're not aware of, wow, the harvest came in. I mean, if you lived in the rural situation, if you've got a farm, maybe I think of people like Edward Berea in Meru, if the harvest comes or not, it's a big deal. It's a big, if we don't, the harvest fails this year, that is devastating. The harvest comes through, thank God, that's going to affect hundreds of lives. So there's a lot of hope. Will the harvest come? Will the harvest, well, that doesn't mean much to me. So I read my Bible, like those who celebrate when the harvest, yeah, fine, let's go down the supermarket. <laughs> you know, it's there, it's always there. So harvest doesn't kind of register much, but those who share the spoils. I mean, if harvest doesn't mean much, spoils means nothing whatsoever. But I was fascinated, and I thought, spoils? I'm looking at this passage, and I looked at my concordance. Now, concordance tells you every place a word is used in the Bible. So if you look up the word spoils, to my surprise, you find Columns, columns, columns. Loads of references to spoils. I think, what's this all about? What this about is this. Armies didn't pay wages in those days. They just fought battles. And if they beat someone, they get everything those people have got. Because you might wonder, what's an army doing outside this city with gold and silver, incredible clothing, and all, you know, what's, 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 this is an army, isn't it? Why aren't they on army rations? Well, because they've got spoils from previous battles. And if you look at this, it's interesting, there's one of those stories, you may remember there's a story which says, you don't have to fight in this battle. Send out the choir. And it says that, uh, it's in 2 Chronicles 20, I think. It says, uh, so the battle is mine, you don't have to fight. So the choir goes out first and they just sing and they have a great victory. And it says after that one, it took three days to collect the spoils. Three days. So these guys, have, they've found gold and they said they not only found it, they said, look at this, they went and hid it. Then they went back to another tent, whoa, and they hid that. And it's like they're just overwhelmed with what they've discovered. They've found so much. They're absolutely overwhelmed with this incredible thing. They're so excited. We found it, we found it, we found it. It's only later they think, hey, we perhaps should tell somebody. Because they're so excited with what they found. I know I felt like that when, when I began to see grace. I remember 
in a meeting actually in Seaford when I preached on Zechariah chapter 3 when God was opening our eyes about grace. And when I say that, what do I mean? Well, as a pastor, I've been to Bible college, I've been filled with the Spirit, I'd seen people filled with the Spirit. But often that's that sense of, do you pray long enough? Do you read the Bible enough? So, you know, you pray, as you get off your knees, the first thing you hear is, well, was that long enough? Because the devil is called in the Bible the accuser of the brothers who accuses us day and night. You know, and you think, well, can I keep up praying? I'm a useless prayer. Or read my Bible and I don't even get that much out of it, don't understand it, what's it all about? You know, I'm a, I'm a useless Christian. I slept through my quiet time. I'm 13 days behind in my Bible readings. You know, I'm just a useless. And the people often, mm, not doing very well. And, and you can even be quite zealous and still feel you're not doing very well. In fact, people who want to be zealous can get in the trap more than others often. Just feel I'm not really all that I would, I would love to be more. And feeling, it says in Zechariah 3, it represents the recovery of worship. I won't go into the history. Israel's being recovered at that time. Israel and Nehemiah. And the high priest is there. And Satan comes and points the finger and says, look at his filthy clothes. This is the priest. Look at the filthy clothes. Because Satan will accuse you all the time. Say, you call yourself a Christian mother. I saw the way you treat those kids. Call yourself a father, what time? And you think, oh, I wish I'd not. He just bombards us all the time. But suddenly it says, this guy is being accused by Satan and he's about to answer. It's like, well, you know, I didn't mean to tread in the mud or something. And God steps in. And God says, remove the filthy clothes. Put clean clothes on him. Put a turban on his head. And I remind them what it says in Romans 8. It is God who justifies. God has given us righteousness as a gift. He's taken away all my guilt forever. He's justified and sanctified me forever. Jesus Christ is my righteousness and he's the same yesterday, today and forever. Amen? Do you understand that? Do you believe that? Do we know that? So important. That's why that song we were singing, so important about knowing who we are. So when I wake up tomorrow morning, Jesus is my righteousness. It's good news, isn't it? But you slept through your quiet time. I know, Jesus is still my righteousness. He's still my righteousness. He's still my righteousness. Every day, he's still going to be my righteousness because he, by one offering, he has justified for all time. He's done it. I'll never be in debt again. It's a finished deal. It's like we won the jackpot. It's never, he's, he's done it. And not only that, he said he took me down into his death and into his resurrection. He's made me a new creation. The stuff that used to hold me in bondage. No, he's broken it. He's dealt with it. It's what it plainly teaches me in, 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 in Romans 6 and elsewhere. And Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will free you. But I'm in bondage. No, 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 you're not. If you knew the truth, the truth would free you. There's no Christian ever needs to say, I can't, I can't get free from this. No Christian should be saying, well, I, know I'm, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I can't help myself. No, it's not true. You're free. You just haven't seen enough yet. You haven't said, wow, I mean, I can put on this coat. I know I'm in rags, but I can put on this coat I found in this tent. It's magnificent. Get all these rags off and put on this stuff. And I suddenly look like a king. That's what it says that in, Ephes- in the Ephesians, Colossians, put off the old, put on the new. And the New Testament's full of this. God has done a breathtaking thing by his victory. He did it. 
It's like David took out Goliath, and when David killed Goliath, an army of losers became an army of winners immediately. What had they done? Nothing. What had David done? Taken out Goliath. He won the battle. He turned an army of losers into an army of winners. He did it alone. That's why that Humphreys was so wrong. I thought the Bible was a morality book. No, it's not. It's a book about how God came and delivered us. God broke through. God acted. He invaded human history and one took away our guilt and shame on the cross and said, oh my God, why have you forsaken me? God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. It's done. It's done. God set us free. The Red Sea opened. They walk out free. The grave is empty. We're alive. Never to be condemned again. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There isn't any. There isn't any. Beloved, we just seem to know. We need to know that. We need to know that all the time. Receive it all the time. Celebrate it all the time. Enjoy it all the time. Put on the armor all the time. Ephesians 6 says, be strong. Put on the armor. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. See, it's not righteousness that you've built up. You pick it up and put it on. You, you see, that's where I, my emotions are. No, no, I've got, I've got protection for that. I've got a righteousness, not my own. So when we do pray, we say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for free righteousness. Thank you, you've done an amazing thing. Thank you, I'm a new creation. Beloved, we need to celebrate the wonder of what we found. And I think that this story is about guys who are absolutely overwhelmed with what they've discovered. They've found enough to make them absolutely thrilled and delighted of being set free. And it's all free. It's all free. I, I heard the story of a guy called Bak Singh, an Indian Christian, who uh, went on a, with a party to go and see Everest at dawn, which is an extraordinary sight. I had the privilege myself of being at the Grand Canyon at dawn and watching the, 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 the shade, shadow give way to the light. And to go and see Everest at dawn must be an amazing thing. And he went there, and uh, he's standing there, and he's looking, and the group that are with him are looking, uh, and then after looking for a while, uh, they become fidgety and they say, well, you know, we've seen it. Uh, and Buck Singh is standing looking. And the guide says, well, so we're moving on now. And he said, he said everything okay? He said, well, to be honest, um, no. I'm, I was looking forward to this so much. And I don't know, really. And, and, and the guide said, uh, well, listen, I understand, sir. Just stay there, maybe 20 minutes. We won't be far. This is the way we're going. The party will go there. They won't go quickly. You can catch us up. Just stay there. And so he stayed there, and the party went off, and he's standing there, and these 20 other people went, and he's standing there, and he said, suddenly, a kind of mist lifted. And he said, suddenly, I saw it. And he said, it was as though the mountain took a step forward. <laughs> and so I went, ah. I see Everest with the mists gone at dawn. And he said, he said, there are 20 people in the world and they're saying, I saw Everest at dawn. He said, they didn't see anything. <laughs> see, beloved, sometimes we can go out saying, I've seen Everest at dawn. Have we seen it? Have we really seen it? Have we really been captivated by it? Filled with wonder of what we found, the spoils, they're all ours now. It's all free. It's ours. It's free. 
Let me just give one illustration. I must close. Our time's gone. When Peter, Peter was a mess, right? Peter, Simon Peter, he denied that he even knew Jesus. And when, when your push came to shove, right at the end, when Jesus warned him, he said, now pray, you'll fall into temptation. And he said, I'll be okay, the others may let you down, I won't. And then, boy, did he let him down. Like, you're with him, no, I don't know him. No, your accent, you're from the north, no, I'm not with him. No, I saw you with him. And it says, he cursed and swore and said, I am not with him. And they took him off and crucified him. I mean, Peter is a wreck, finished. About six weeks later, six weeks later, not long, less than a school term, six weeks later, he's walking by the temple and, and, a, and a beggar is there. And a beggar reaches out and says, uh, you got any money? And Peter says, no, I don't have any money. But look on me. Such as I have, such as I have, I give you. Get up and walk. And he takes the guy by the hand and pulls him up. You think, wow. And the guy's walking and leaping and praising God. You think, Peter, well, such as I have. Where'd you get that from, Peter? Such as I have. What did you, where did you go away to some college? I mean, did you fast? And what, well, I mean, did you get, you know, 100% points for your discipling? No, I'm a write-off. I was a waste of time. I denied I even knew Jesus. So such as you have... Yeah, it's all free. See, beloved, it's all free. The whole thing's free. And, 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 and now he, he can just say to a lame man, get up and walk, and he starts walking. Because it's the spoils. The, the spoils comes with the victory. The spoils are yours by right of conquest. When the victory's been won, you have the spoils as well. So the army goes out and collects. You think, wow. It's at this point we find David at one point at Ziklag it says, David went out to fight a battle. He wasn't allowed to. Went back to Ziklag. Everything's gone. His wife, his children, all that. But the whole camp has been ransacked. You may remember that story. And it says his own army wanted to stone him. He said, oh God, what shall I do? And he begins to encourage himself in God. He asks for guidance, gets the guidance, go after him. Everything will be recovered. And they go after this army. And they collect so much stuff. They not only get back their own stuff, they get back everything that their army had got from other battles. So all the spoils are theirs. It's all free. So they come back incredibly rich. And it says they gave it away to all sorts of people because they've got so much, they give it away, they give it away, they give it away. And these, are, these guys, these lepers, are transformed from being beggars to being good news people. Beloved, we are. We are. We've got such treasures to share. We've got such a lot to give away, and it's all free. And Simon Peter did not deserve to be a spokesman. You know, it's, it's, it's like at the day of Pentecost, Peter could have stood, stood at the back of the crowd saying, well, thank you for forgiveness, Jesus. I know I've blown it. I know I've blown it. I've lost my calling. I've lost my apostleship. I know I let you down. And so thank you for forgiveness because Jesus interviewed him and he's, he's, do you love me? Yes, I do love you. Yes, I love you. Thank you, Lord. On day of Pentecost, well, go on, Peter. Go on, James. Preach it, James. I'm at the back of the crowd. Go for it, James. No, it doesn't say that. It says Peter. Peter standing with the 11. This total failure. 
is back on his feet saying, come on, turn to God. This Jesus whom you crucified, God has raised up. Whereof we're witnesses. And this you can see poured out upon us. It's all free. And Peter's totally reinstated. All free. All free. And he's even saying to the sick, get healed, get healed. People walk behind and get in the shadow. It's all free. I just want to encourage us, beloved. First of all, let's not have any other agendas that spoil us being what God wants us to be. I would do that, but mm, ramifications put me off. I would love to serve God, but let's let God no, no, deal with that and say, no, Lord, you, you, you're the only one that matters, really. Life and death, I mean, career, no, reputation, doesn't really matter. Does it really doesn't matter. They don't much so, li- so much as lift a fist as lift an eyebrow and we've finished. We say, no, no, I want to go through. I want to go through. Let God be God. And then let's understand. It's all free. It's all free. I'd just like to close in prayer. Our time's gone. I, 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 in as much as it's all free, if any of you have got lower back pain, if you, if you have, when you're standing, if you get pain, as maybe it shoots down your sciatic nerve sometimes, if you get back pain, I'd love to pray for you this morning. I believe you'll be healed. And also, if you, if you can't move your head and neck, it's kind of locked, I'd love to pray for you. I believe you'll be. If you've got arthritic knees, I'd love to pray for you. And it's all free. It's the spoils of Jesus' victory. Spoils of his victory. Amen? Jesus wants to do that. Jesus loves to do that. I was at uh, Mark Landra Smith Church a little while ago and we're praying for people and they're getting healed. Uh, and a lady came to me, she said, did you see me in the choir? Not the choir, the band. And I said, yeah, I guess I did. She said, did you notice I could only get my hands this high? And I said, to be honest, I didn't notice. She said, well, that's it. I, that is the movement I can do from there to there. But she said, I, I can't move any higher. My neck and shoulders are all wrecked. Would you pray for me? Because we'd seen a number of things already happen. So she said, would you pray for me? And I said, yeah, sure, i pray. And I prayed for her. I put my hands on her shoulders. And I just said, now raise your arms. And she started going like this, going like this. And she's going, she said, oh, I'm scared. I said, come on, shall we do it? So she just began to pray and pray. She began to raise her arms, raise her arms, raise her arms. And she starts to shed some tears. Oh, oh, her friends are all standing in a circle around going, oh, look, look, look. And she's getting her arms up. She's getting her arms up. And then she went like this to her head. She said, I haven't touched my head for years. She said, friends come in and shampoo my hair two or three times a week because I can't do it. And she's free. She said, look, look. She said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, 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 I'm holding my hands behind my back. I can't do this. I can't do this. It's all free. It's all free. It happened in Mark's church not long ago. It's all free. Guy with arthritic knees. I was a couple of weeks away. Guy, we just prayed together. And I said, wow, it doesn't hurt anymore. He said, hold on, let me go down my hunches. Wow, the pain's gone. It's all free. It's all the spoils. It's the spoils. Jesus has won a victory and gives away freely forgiveness, righteousness, eternal life, joy unspeakable, full of glory. And it's all free. Because he paid the price. The grave is empty. The power of darkness is broken. Every story in the Bible that tells you, oh, Sennacherib had to run away. Oh, that, this victory after victory after victory, it's all pointing, it's all helping to get us ready for the great one. 
when Jesus beats death and gives us the results of it all free. Father, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for your love for us. Do pray, Lord, for any who, who know that their agendas often confuse their desire to walk with you. Lord, I just pray for clarity of sight. They may see more clearly and walk away free. Lord, I pray right now too that you will bless us as we, uh, Lord, live in this world and want to make you known. Lord Jesus, we may be evidently rich with joy and peace, gentleness and meekness, all those lovely fruits that you freely give us. Let your hand be on us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.